welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction this podcast concerns the module skills for building relationships and it concerns the specific chapter called how does a small dose of empathy produce much better clinical outcomes being able to express empathy effectively is crucial for building a good relationship between clinician and patient we all experience empathy to a greater or lesser extent because it is one of the key factors that makes us human However, being able to communicate empathically in a professional situation is a skill that needs to be developed through every clinician's career. Clinicians need to develop skills in empathic communication so that an effective relationship is built up with the patient. This has the result that all the other aspects of the consultation become more effective. This can save time because empathy helps both parties to feel understood which means that patients do not spend a lot of time repeating themselves, which is a waste of time. Building a good relationship increases trust, which improves the effectiveness of information gathering. Developing a positive relationship between clinician and patient means that the negotiations of the explanation and planning phases of the consultation are likely to go more smoothly. The likelihood that the patient will act on a clinician's safety netting advice is also linked to how much they trust that clinician and to what extent they consider that the clinician has really understood the situation. Being able to communicate empathically is thus a key element in effective consultations. It's not just a nice add-on. Without a good relationship, without trust, the effectiveness of clinical work is reduced. There is now increasing and very compelling evidence that kindness, empathy and compassion have major benefits in healthcare. This is not just about patients having pleasant feelings or having a nice time. In hundreds of research papers, empathy and compassion have been shown to make substantial impacts, impacts on outcomes in healthcare. And these impacts are quite varied. They include physiological effects. Now, examples where empathic care affects physiology include improvements in blood sugar control in those with diabetes, reducing the impact of stress-mediated disease, lowering blood pressure, and modulating the perception of pain. In some situations, mortality has been reduced. Empathic perioperative care reduces the need for analgesia or sedation. And it's even been found in some instances that wounds heal more quickly with compassionate empathic care. There are obviously psychological benefits as well. There is compelling evidence that empathic care affects the quality of life and experience of disease states, for example in cancer. And it's now well recognised that loneliness has adverse effects on health, which can be mediated by appropriate interpersonal relationships. Expressing empathy, especially in response to subtle clues in the patient's behaviour, improves their mental health and can reduce depressive or anxiety symptoms. Increased empathy and compassion also enhance patient self-care. 
non-adherence to treatment causes treatment failures and increases healthcare costs. When the relationship between clinician and patient include empathy and compassion, patients are more likely to stick to their treatment plans, more likely to make relevant lifestyle changes and more likely to engage in positive social activities. The effect of empathy and compassion also affects providers and improves healthcare quality. When providers have empathy and compassion, they're more meticulous about their care and they work to higher quality standards. They're also much less likely to make major medical errors. This does also reduce healthcare costs. However, even more importantly, when staff are able to relate to patients as individuals and to feel that both parties are involved as people, the satisfaction and well-being of the clinicians increases. These well-researched positive effects have been termed compassionomics because of the far-reaching effects of empathy from clinicians. Well, how does this actually happen? Clinicians may wonder if all this will take more time in consultations and this has also been subjected to extensive research. Essentially, quite short expressions of empathy and concern take about 30 to 40 seconds of consultation time. And this pays big dividends in reduced patients' anxiety and increased patient satisfaction. These effects could persist for up to six months after the consultation in some research studies. What actually happens in empathic communications then? Here are some examples to show what kinds of things the clinicians in the studies were saying and doing. A clinician might say, I appreciate that what you're going through is really hard at the moment. I will help as much as I can. Or they might say, I realise there's a lot of information here that might be not so easy to understand. We'll go through it together and I'd like you to stop me if something doesn't make sense. The key message is that responding to the patient as an individual and really hearing their experience is what counts. One study examined in detail how long it took for clinicians to recognise a compassion opportunity, as they called it, and to make an empathic response. Now, this could be just to notice the feeling, it could be to offer explicit support, or to follow up that response with a question to explore the patient's feelings further. It usually took around 30 seconds for this to happen. When inexperienced clinicians consult, they often attempt to be empathic using quite generic statements. For example, that must be difficult, or, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And on occasion, those kinds of generic statements can work fine. But empathy is much more powerful when it refers specifically to the person in question and to exactly what they've been saying. So compare these two statements. I'm just so worried about my examinations. I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't work. I'm terrified about what will happen if I fail. What if the clinician says, well, that sounds difficult for you? Let's compare the same interaction. I'm just so worried about my examinations. I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't work. I'm terrified about what will happen if I fail. Well, it sounds to me like the examination's worry has pervaded all the whole areas of your life. The latter statement is specific to this patient at this time, whereas the first one could be said to almost any patient in almost any predicament. 
Note that the empathic statement was preceded by the words it sounds to me like. This is important. Making an empathic statement requires us to put ourselves in the place of the other person, using information from all sources. This includes their words, their body language, their tone of voice, their clothing and their context. And from these, we can deduce what they're experiencing. This involves thinking processes as well as feeling and emotional processes. And sometimes we can get it wrong. If we use a qualifying phrase like this sounds as if or this sounds like or even I'm wondering if before making an empathic statement, this allows the patient to disagree with us afterwards. They can then say something like, well, it, not exactly. It's more that this is happening. This empowers the patient to clarify their situation and it helps the clinician to really understand what's happening. Listening to someone means more than just hearing what they say and remembering it. Active listening often requires some kind of interpretation. The full meaning comes from an accumulation of information or several clues to the overall meaning. This is especially true when people talk about their emotions and feelings. People often don't name their feeling outright by saying something like, I really resent the way my boss makes me do overtime. Sometimes they do something a little bit more subtle and the clinician may have to work out what the feelings are. The patient might say something like, oh, every day it's the same. I'm getting ready to go and she turns up and says, oh, please, will you just do this or just do that before you go or I'm putting you on the overtime shift to cover until so-and-so gets here. I was late home every night last month. It's really getting me down. In this situation, the clinician can name the feeling that is being implied or expressed indirectly by listening carefully to what is said. Demonstrating empathy and showing that they've really heard, remembered and understood might suggest the interpretation saying something like, you sound rather angry and resentful towards your boss. When feelings are clearly named in this way, patients often experience great relief and comfort because somebody is really listening to them. Clearly, to make an accurate and empathic statement requires focused attention to what the patient is saying. The clinician has to have the ability to reflect on what the patient is saying, even as they're speaking, and to remember the content and the emotional tone. This is very difficult to do if the clinician spends their non-speaking time deciding what question to ask next rather than listening to what the patient is saying right now. Clinicians who want to develop their empathy skills can first pay attention to their skills in naming the feelings that the patient is expressing. Let's think again about the examination that I mentioned earlier. It isn't always easy to tell what the patient is feeling. The clinician has to listen hard and interpret what the patient is saying. Then the clinician needs to demonstrate that understanding of the patient's feelings. In the example I quoted before, the clinician could go on to demonstrate their understanding by saying something like, I can really appreciate that this situation might, you feel, might make you feel pretty resentful towards your boss. Showing respect for the speaker's feelings and treating them with non-judgmental acceptance can be very healing for patients. Following this up with support, using positive words, encouragement and hope for improvement can help even further. 
If necessary, emotions can be explored in more detail, especially if patients are very distressed. In usual circumstances, a simple, accurate naming of the patient feeling will be greeted with, yeah, that's it, and the consultation will then proceed more smoothly. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.